probably at least 50% or more of all of our customers, all of our audience was coming directly from YouTube. And our, our videos got a lot better a lot quickly, but the first ones were pretty bad. And and is the model is the model you put like teasers out on YouTube or do you put like like actual content out on YouTube and then they can upgrade? Or I mean, I mean, at this point now, education is just a top of filter for you, right? Like you make your money selling the, the boards and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the, the model of the business has changed several times because I've been in business. Been running for about years. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got some fun people. Uh, we've got my friend Al Doan back. And Al, since you got to pick this this guest we're co-hosting today, why don't you introduce Nev? Hi, we, we brought on Nev from uh, Snowboard Addiction. Hi, everyone. How's it going? <laughs> So now for people who don't have a family like mine, where their kids are constantly showing them their snowboard addiction videos and then realizing I need to watch those videos too. Can, can you tell people about what you've built? Sure thing. So I have a company called Snowboard Addiction and what we produce is snowboard educational products and snowboard tutorial videos. And it's got a long backstory. I don't know how far back you want me to start, Jess. Do you want me to kind of go with the real start? Yeah, dude. Give us the juice. Okay, okay. Okay, if I'm, if I'm too long-winded, you guys cut me off. But basically, I grew up in New Zealand, so you guys probably already established I've got an accent. And growing up, I was in a small town that was on the coast, and I was into board sports like skateboarding, surfing. And then it was about – I was about 10 years old, and I saw people on these things. There were snowboards. And, like, my parents were skiers, so I was already skiing at that point. But I remember seeing them and being like, oh, I want to try out that thing because that looks awesome. And I managed to convince my parents to go half price with me in a snowboard. This was, I was 10 years old and um, I was already kind of entrepreneur back then. So I had to like raise my own money. Like a lot of entrepreneurs start off pretty young, right? So anyway, I got the snowboard and I fell in love with that sport. So all throughout my high school years and everything, snowboarding was like my crazy sport, but I could only do it a limited amount of time because the resort where I was was only open about 40 days a year, if, like the whole season. So, you know, this is on a volcano in New Zealand, like a one peak mountain. And there was a T-bar. Do you guys know what a T-bar is? Oh, yeah. I don't a T-bar toes up the mountain. Okay, so you know how like, have you been snowboarding before, Al? Yeah. Or skiing? You know how they have chairlifts and gondolas? Right. A T-bar is like a cable with a kind of T that drags you up the mountain. Oh, it, that it's was built the, for skiers, not snowboarders, right? I think I've stumbled up the hill with these before. So this resort that I grew up on, it had one T-bar and two rope toes. A rope toe is a rope that you grab onto and it pulls Okay, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've, I've been dragged up a mountain. I know this world. So this rope toe, and this is kind of a New Zealand thing. You, Amer you guys, I know you guys are in America. You probably haven't seen these. But in New Zealand, some of these rope toes are so steep and so long that you have to wear an abseiling harness and you have a middle contraption that you flick <laughs> this middle contraption around the rope and you hold on to the middle contraption and it tows you up the hill and you ride all day with this harness on and this middle contraption on. That's what I grew up snowboarding on. Dude, this that's in New Zealand. Yeah. In New Zealand, they still exist. There's a whole bunch of ski resorts in New Zealand. They call them club fields because they're mostly run by small clubs and um, a lot of these club fields have these rope toes and they call them nutcrackers. 
you, you so I'm just giving a bit of a con uh, a bit of a story about the mountain I grew up snowboarding but anyway I was a snowboard now this is all I wanted to do and so after high school I, I did what's called an, a high school exchange where you go and exchange to a different country you guys probably heard of them the one that I did is called AFS but I literally picked the country that was the smallest country that I knew had the most snowboarding because I was like I want to be somewhere where I can snowboard a lot so I picked um, Switzerland and I did like a one-year exchange to Switzerland just so I could hopefully snowboard a whole lot. But anyway, after that, I came back. I did university in New Zealand. I did a marketing degree. Wait, wait, and, did it um, work? Did, was Switzerland super snowboardy or did you have to go to school the whole time? Well, so like I had finished school in New Zealand and I kind of was meant to be going to school over there, but I definitely skipped a lot of school over there and did a lot of snowboarding. <laughs> so. So I thinking about, oh, I did the one year exchange and I probably did, I probably visited like 30 or 40 resorts around Switzerland that year. And I, you know, you know, when, when you're growing up and sometimes you'll get a fake ID so you can go to the bar earlier when you're underage. Right. I had a fake ID in Switzerland that made me younger because if you were younger, you could get cheaper lift tickets at the <laughs> resort. <laughs> so, so I think I was like 18 at the time and I had a, I had a, I had a fake ID that said I was like 14 or something. Because I think the 15-year-olds was the cutoff for the cheapest <laughs> ticket. <laughs> so anyway, oh I'm getting off track of the story. But bottom line is um, I designed my life around snowboarding. And after in New Zealand, I went to university and I moved to the South Island where I could be closer to more of the ski resorts. But my snowboarding really got serious when after I finished university, I was like, right, I'm going to go to Canada because Canada has longer winters, more snow, um, bigger resorts, better terrain, everything. So I, uh, I moved to a place called Whistler, which is where I live now. And I literally moved to Whistler because I was like, that's the best resort I've ever heard of. Let's go there. So I moved there and I didn't really have the intention of living there. I just, it was like, whatever, just see what happens. And I got a job bussing tables, clearing tables at a restaurant so that I could snowboard all day, every day. So I was probably 20 or 21 at this point. Yeah, 20 or 21. It was 2004, 16 years ago. And uh, yeah, from there, I just, man, just snowboarded as much as I could. So this first few years in Whistler, I would just, I would actually go back and forth. So I would do the winter in Whistler and the winter in New Zealand. And I would snowboard it. I was snowboarding about 200 days a year. I was snowboarding like crazy. That's a, that's a lot of time to be standing in the snow, man. I love yeah, snowboarding, but I also yeah. like the beach. Oh, I love the beach, but I kind of forgot about the beach for about six years. <laughs> So anyway, um, in Whistler, I, yeah, I was going back and forth and I was doing winters and I was working in a restaurant just to be able to snowboard all day. And then one year, the winter ends in Whistler and there was kind of, back then there was this kind of thing called the dead season. The dead season was like the times in between summer and winter when the town kind of got really quiet and I got laid off from the job I was at and I was kind of, I was forced into a situation where I was like, what am I going to do to make money? Like, what am I going to do to live? And I, I was reading one of these books. I can't remember what book it was, but it was one of the ones, you know, like I, I like all the self-improvement books, all of the, I don't know, you call them self-help books, whatever you want. I, I'm into all that stuff. And I was reading it and it was like, oh, you've got to do something around your passion. What are you really good at? And what can you do to make money? And I was like, well, I'm really good at snowboarding. Like, what, how can I do, how can I make money in snowboarding? And anyway, it basically gave me this thing where I was like, I need to somehow use snowboarding and build my lifestyle around that. And at the time, I was also a snowboard instructor, so I was teaching snowboarding. But when I say I was a snowboard instructor, I was kind of just to get the seasons passed. And it was I didn't want to I didn't want to take up all my days being a snowboard instructor. I wanted to um, snowboard. I feel like yeah. that is most snowboard instructors I've ever met. Yeah, they have they have very little interest in instructing snowboarding. <laughs> 
Well, I was snowboard instructing a couple of days a week, let's say that. And then I was snowboarding like the other four or five days a week. And I was I was pretty good at teaching people. I found like, I don't know, I just found like a natural ability to teach people how to snowboard, partly because I was good at snowboarding and and I was in that position of teaching at the resort. So Whistle Blacker and the resort actually hired me at that point to teach all the instructors. So I was teaching all the instructors at Whistle Blackcomb how to ride specifically freestyle, how to do like the jumps and the rails and the half pipe and all of the fun aspects of snowboarding, all of the, the real aspects of what most people snowboard for. And anyway, after that season, I got laid off from the restaurant and I was kind of forced into thinking about how I can develop an income. And I was like, right, I'm going to kind of develop a program that will teach people how to snowboard and sell it online. So this was 2007. So three or four years after I first got to Whistler. And the first version of the program was just uh, audios that you could put on, a, on an iPod at the time and PDF manuals that you could read. It would explain aspects of snowboarding. You could put these audios um, on and you could listen to them while you're snowboarding and go ride with them. And then the idea was to build a video series of programs to, to expand on that content. And I started that that summer I went down to New Zealand and I started building out a, a series of videos that would teach people how to snowboard better around tricks, you know, 360s, 180s, rail slides, board slides, that kind of stuff. And, and I added that to the program and that was kind of the start of it. That was, that was how snowboard addiction started. So you said, you said that was 2007, you started doing that. So it's like YouTube started in what, 2006, right? And so like, like, I feel like online video wasn't really a big thing. Yet. <laughs> that's like, that's, that's a pretty, pretty brave move. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Like back then we didn't even have video cameras on our phones. We didn't have GoPros like you. Yeah. Like there was some people that had handy cams, but like nobody really even had video cameras in 2007. So guess. Yeah. Guess the handy cams down the mountain, dude. So my first videos for the snowboard addiction videos were, were shot on these crappy little handy cams. Like I think my girlfriend at the time had one, I borrowed it and I made some videos and like I was in New Zealand and uh, there was a guy in the cafe at the resort and he had a broken collarbone, I think. So he was sitting there in a sling, but he was just wanting to be at the mountain every day because he was down there for the winter. And I was like, oh, look, if you could hold this camera and come and film me, I'll give you a dozen beer. <laughs> <laughs> that was your cameraman. <laughs> <laughs> this was one of the first video series was this guy, this guy. He has no video experience. He's just holding a little handy cam and filming me. <laughs> and I gave him some beer to do this. That was one of the first learn to ride snowboard addiction programs. And, uh, and hey, it worked because we put it on Dude, YouTube. So, so we, put what is... these, we put some of these videos up on YouTube. And YouTube was just starting out at the time. And um, it was popular. Like YouTube, I don't know why, but it grew really quickly. And like YouTube was like the predominant source of the marketing for snowboard addiction for the first five years in business probably at least 50% or more of all of our customers, all of our audience was coming directly from YouTube. And, uh, and our videos got a lot better a lot quickly, but the first ones were pretty bad. And and is the model is the model you put like teasers out on YouTube or do you put like like actual content out on YouTube and then they can upgrade? Or, I mean, I mean, at this point now, education is just a top of filter for you, right? Like you make your money selling the, the boards and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So the, the model of the business has changed several times. Because I've been in business, Snowboard Addiction has been running for about 13 years now, which, I mean, it doesn't seem like that long for me, but, I mean, apparently that's pretty long for some businesses. Um, so I can get into that along the way, how we've changed. But initially, when we're making these videos, yeah, we put some of them out on YouTube for as, like, samples, and we put out some kind of teaser information, and then people would go to our website and buy the full program. 
So in the next season in Whistler, I actually hired a film guy to do our first good quality videos. And he made, I think maybe like eight good quality videos. And I paid him like 800 bucks, which at the time was a lot of money at the time. <laughs> it doesn't seem like much now, but, but that was like our first good videos and they went on YouTube and those ones went really well. Like some of them, I think maybe half of them went on YouTube and the other half were part of the program that you could buy. And the program at that point was audios and manuals and videos. And uh, yeah, it got to the point where after that first year in, you know, that first year in business, I probably, the whole business probably made like maybe 10 grand in revenue in the first year. And then the second year, it maybe made like 30 grand in revenue. And then the third year, it maybe made like a hundred grand in revenue. So it's a slow start, right? But I really, at that point, I didn't, I didn't need much. You know, I was like a snowboard bum. I lived in Whistler. I, I didn't have many expenses. You know, I, at the time I, when I first moved to Whistler, the first couple of houses that I lived in, I kind of rented the whole house, took on that responsibility and then found my other roommates. As a result, my, my rent was usually fairly cheap. <laughs> it's, it's the and, college move, dude. That's a, that's a strong college yeah. move. And I, it was just like, you know, like there was always a housing shortage in Whistler. There always has been. It's really desirable up here because it's just an awesome mountain town. And so, you know, you take on these risks, like you rent a bigger house and you sublet out the other rooms and um, I wasn't doing that to make money, but it definitely helped subsidize my rent and give me a good place to live. And as a result, I just didn't really need much. You know, I had a free seasons pass because I worked for the mountain and I, I worked at a restaurant in the evenings and got lots of free food and stuff like that. And I was just snowboarding, man. So, you know, when the business goes from 10 grand to 30 grand or hundred grand, it doesn't seem like much, but like now we, we do over, we do, we do about a million and a half revenue every year now. And, and, you know, I still own the business myself and we're still profitable every year. And we're not a huge business. We're still small, but we're a good, small, profitable business that funds my lifestyle. And I have several full-time employees who are, you know, are passionate about the snowboard industry and work hard and are keyed into the business in good ways. And yeah, it's, it's growing and we, we plan to keep growing. In the beginning, in the beginning, because I'm guessing, I'm guessing like the, the tech stuff was never super interesting to you. Were you just like emailing out PDFs and, and movie links and stuff like like, was that just you on the other side of I'd make a purchase and then Nev would be like, all right, here you go. I got, here's your stuff. <laughs> uh, we actually had an automatic system that did it. So no, it was suck. pretty simple. <laughs> so basically when you made the purchase, you go diverted through to a new page and that page has download links and stuff. So you can't get through to that purchase until you, you can't get through that page until you've made the purchase. So it was automatic. I wasn't emailing out, but there was on that manual front, there was lots of manual work. So we started selling DVDs. Once we started getting lots of good video content, I put together a whole bunch of snowboard addiction DVDs and they were the best snowboard instructional DVDs by far ever made. And um, that was more of a manual process because at the first, the first few hundred DVDs, I, I think I was burning those DVDs myself and shipping them out myself. <laughs> As the orders would come in. And then it got to the point where eventually we would order a thousand DVDs at a time from an actual DVD producer and I would still ship them out. So I would still... The ladies at the post office knew me well. I was there every afternoon in the Whistler post office. That's amazing. Do, do what? Well, and I'm I'm curious too because I like when I first met you, I was like I was like Nev, I love this man. Like here's here's ten ideas to ten x your business, and look look at all this stuff we could do. And you're like, dude, that's real cute, man. That's good. We're good. I think we're good. You know, like like you you are the you're the least sort of hungry for more work person that i that i know where you're just like i've got my business right where i want it and uh not super like if if i came to you tomorrow and said hey dude we can 10x this you're gonna have to 10x your employees and like a lot more work and stuff you'd say no right like what it's funny 
because I'm actually super ambitious and I like to grow it, but I also, I want to make sure that I don't take on too much more stress because I'm already busy enough in life in general. So I am trying to grow it, but I try to grow it in a very slow, steady way that doesn't make me go crazy. Does that make sense? Like what, what's an example of like, like what's, how, how are you trying to grow it right now? Cause I, cause this is, this is so curious to me because I'm, I'm of the entrepreneurial background of like, I'll, I'll work a hundred hours a day every day for nine years while we get it so big that eventually then I can hire somebody to come and do the thing. And then I get my first vacation I've ever taken. Right. And, and you're like the opposite. So the way you're, the way that you approach this is very fascinating to me. So I wonder if you could spend just a minute on like how, what, what growth means to you or like how you approach this and, and like why all that kind of stuff. Cause it's, it's fairly novel to me. Yeah, so I guess I guess one thing that's quite important to me is lifestyle and being able to do all the stuff that I like to do. So the business was built around snowboarding, so I want to make sure that I can still snowboard as much as possible. But also, not only that, I want to be able to do the other things I enjoy in life too. So I, you know, I have two kids now. I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, two boys and a wife, and um, I have multiple different businesses that I'm involved in. Snowboard addiction is still my main my main business that people know me for, but I'm involved in a few other ones as well. And I don't know, when I was like, if I was single and didn't have a wife and kids and everything, I could totally work like crazy, like you talk about. But I feel like I can't do that anymore with, with the family and stuff. Plus, I don't know, it's nice to be able to enjoy everything that's going, that's going on. So, yeah. Like, like how, are you trying to, how are you trying to grow it right now? And what's, like, what's, your, what's your spot that you're trying to get to? Yeah, cool. So that's interesting. I'm going to share with you my thoughts. And it would be awesome to get your feedback on it, too. Is because Al, I mean, if you guys listen to this podcast, you might know that Al's business, his, his first major business, the um, Missouri Star Quilt Company, has a lot of parallels to snowboard addiction and the fact that you guys were producing online educational content around quilting to sell quilting products. Yeah. No, that was exactly- my idea for you is I was like, dude, go buy a town and build the snowboard town. And like, we'll build the big trampoline park and then come into the summer. Like, this is the move. Let's build the big thing around this. So, well, yeah, and like, I have to jump in on that for one second because you you came up with a product that we always growing up in Western Canada wish there was like your bindings without the high back like plenty of us did that we we screwed it to a skateboard and ripped holes in our trampolines you know when the duct tape on the bottom wore out right yeah. but they were terrible like your your straps there are just like what took 20 years for like everybody else like nobody i haven't seen it from anybody else and we all i mean we wanted those for 20 years my nine-year-old still begs me all the time for a tramp board off snowboard addiction so i'm interested in what al said combined with you are expanding into product like this yeah so let me tell you a little bit about well both aspects but to start with al's asking about how we're expanding right now is um so the, the snowboard addiction business my business right now is we provide training products so we provide things like trampoline boards balance tools that you can train in your living room and and then we also do all the training videos but the training videos are predominantly these days promoting the products that we sell so most of our revenue for the business is coming from those actual uh, physical training products now in terms of where we're expanding now we now have um ski training products so we have trampoline skis so it's a website called ski addiction and we're also moving into other sports now. So we're starting to do the same for wakeboarding. So we have a, a trampoline board based for wakeboarding that we're currently getting developed. It's pretty, it's pretty similar to our other products, different shape, different graphics, made in the same factory. It's just everything takes a lot of time to be done well without going broke. And I feel like in business, there's always a lot of surprises that get thrown at you. 
So for example, in China, we've had a lot of struggles with different manufacturers. For example, we've had one of our manufacturers had a fire in the warehouse, which held up production for a long time. We had another manufacturer almost go bankrupt, which held up production for a long time. So there's all these different things that are always getting thrown at you. And we're just constantly maintaining it, making sure that we're safe and not risking too much money. Because if you throw it all on the line and risk too much at one point, the business could go bankrupt or broke really, really quickly. So I just opt for that slow growth, consistent, but I do I do want to grow it. Now, one thing I want to, um, to tell you, Al, is you're asking how you're going to grow it. I have a couple of my main employees who, who what they do is they, they their wage inside Snowboard Addiction will grow in the same percentage that they can grow the company profits. So if they can grow the company, pro- if they can double the company profits, I double their wage, simple as that. Because I'm trying to get to the point where they can help grow the company rather than just me help grow the company. Because I know that I can grow the company. If I want to get in there and work 100 hours a week, I know I can grow the company. But I want it to keep growing without me having to keep growing it. Does that make sense? No, that I th- I think that's everybody's dream, man. Well, like the, I feel like the the compensation, the compensation is always super interesting because it's like I'm fighting it now in my company because I it's it's a wholly owned family company. How do you give that uh, sort of long term incentive or the the value add to your employees so they have that ownership mentality and really are rewarded for the growth? Right, it's not all selfish on on this side of us wanting to keep it. It's like I. I would love to have a fair model that rewarded the smart people that were growing the company. Because that's actually a very interesting, you know, getting in now where where they can, like that's it, that's gotta be incredibly motivating. Where if if I came in at 10 million, right, maybe it's not as it's not as fair of a of a deal in terms of like getting me from a hundred grand to two hundred grand having to double the revenue. But but I actually I actually think that's a really clever idea of, of ways to sort of motivate the your employees to do that. And then, and then uh, you just sort of give them carte blanche, like go, if you guys want to get us on TV, if you want to, you know, if you want more products, like however you want to grow it, go, go knock it out. More or less. I mean, like, honestly, we, we make decent money. Like we, 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 we're always profitable. We've been profitable every year and I make a good income out of snowboard addiction, but I would love to double my income and um, I'm more than happy to pay them double if they can have double my income. When you, man, your, your business is so great because if you, if you tripled, quadrupled the the revenue right the the headcount of your company goes up by zero right like you don't you don't need more people to do three or four x what you're doing you just it's literally just getting out there and, and telling the story because you use a three pl right somebody else ships your product and we would we would still need three or more people three or four more people for sure to uh, right, okay. to get it all. because the biggest thing I find in business is is not the ideas, it's the execution. It's the ability to execute on all those ideas because we've got tons of ideas, but there's just not enough hours in the day to get it all done. How, how do you prioritize? What does that decision tree look like for you? It's a good question. I don't really have a decision tree. <laughs> but, I mean, but I mean, like you, you're, you've got like way more ideas than time. What, what are the factors that, that you think influence, okay, which crazy idea are we actually going to invest in? We, we will uh, look at all the different ideas and basically choose which we think is the best, which is the one that we should follow, and we'll follow that. So we, we had a big um, brainstorming session last week where we my, my employees and I, we just talked about all the different ideas and ways we could grow. Do we want to grow vertically? Do we want to grow horizontally? And then we kind of picked it, and we looked where we are trying to, and we all kind of decided, yeah, I think that's the best method for us, so let's keep going on the path we're going. So the, the method that we're choosing to grow right now is um, expanding into more sports and becoming the specialist of trampoline style training products. So 
we're, we're going to be launching a new website and it's going to be this new website's going to be a broad seller of trampoline training products for multiple sports, wakeboard, snowboard, ski, all board sports. So it's not going to be limited by like wakeboard training or snowboard training. Do you, Cause do you guys have any, will you go into like in-person trainings and stuff like that? I used to do that with snowboarding. So I used to do like snowboard camps and snowboard addiction would run camps in New Zealand, Japan, even Whistler. And we, I just, I pulled away from that because it's a lot of work doing the in-person stuff. It's like, I, I'm passionate. When I get in front of people and teach them how to snowboard, I'm pretty passionate about it. But if I spend five days teaching a group, man, I am worn out after that because I'm putting it all in for five days. Yeah. And like, it's like, oh, I got to take a few days off after that. So I used to do that in Japan, a great times in New Zealand, but I've definitely pulled away. It's not as scalable. So I look at it this way. If you look at the amount of snowboard camps in the world, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of snowboard camps in the world. But how many manufacturers are there of snowboard training products? There's one good one and that's us. Yeah. So we're not really competing with anyone. And as soon as you start competing with people, your ability to profit goes way down. I, I remember you saying that was a strategic move where like you were you were happy to be at the revenue level you were because it was never going to be big enough for Burton to come in and squish you, right? Yeah. Now the little the product with snowboarding, it's very niche because snowboarding snowboarding is a fairly mainstream sport now, but the ability the amount of people who need to buy a snowboard tramp board is still a fairly niche product. And I think because of that, the big manufacturers are not interested enough because it's just not enough there's just not enough units sold for them to worry about it. Well, that's my experience because none of the big manufacturers have tried to produce this product. Yeah, I think that's actually a strategic advantage that that, that you that you sort of leverage of like you're banking on it not being a billion dollar idea. You're you're actually making great money on it being like you know maybe it's a, maybe it's a ten million dollar you know at 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 its best scale it's a ten million dollar company, but like it's a great 10 million because you're not, there's never a price war to get to zero, right? Like nobody should, nobody should try and come and take half of this because it's just not worth that, that effort. They'll leave it all to you. You get the whole pie. Yeah. And like, if we, we can, we're running a fairly good profit margin. So we're running around about a 20% profit margin. So if, if we got to 10 million bucks in revenue, there's going to be a couple million dollars a year in profit. <laughs> no, Nev, you make more money than I do right now. And I have a company that's a hundred X where you are. And it pisses me off because I should have done snowboard addiction and just had a great life snowboarding. <laughs> but but um, no, like the margins are great. Like it's a it's a legit great company. And I like I love, dude, I freaking love your story around it because you because there's actually I think there's a whole there's a whole slew of companies that you know the the normal the normal entrepreneur past would say, oh, that's yeah, that's not a that's not a billion dollar company. I'm not going to go and build that, right? And like, if if that was if you were chasing, if your ego needed you to have a big company for you to be able to be happy, you would never have found this, and you would never like, and it supports your lifestyle so well. Like, I I just see there being so many good entrepreneurial ideas that get passed over because it's it's I mean it's not it's not big enough for whoever is telling us we like what is big enough, right? It's we have these stupid criteria that determine what we can go into. I just love that you found this and have made it your own and it's it it's served you perfectly. Well, I'm actually interested in the same thing for you, Al, because, you know, like I, we got tempted, we almost moved to New York about four years ago to go run a fund out there mm -hmm. for that same reason, because it would, you know, there's a lot more access to money. My, I have partners out there and all these things. And like, it was kind of like a big decision to just stay in Utah and then 
an even bigger decision to like move out to the sticks on the side of the mountain here and spend more time with family, right? But but you're out in farm country as well. Talk can you talk about your decision to to choose that lifestyle instead of moving to San Francisco where all the uh, Bay Area tech people or something like that? Oh, well, it's I mean for me it's 100% like it's the only thing pulling me to New York or San Francisco would be ego. And like, I, like, I feel like, I feel like me and Nev are a little bit in the same boat where I'm hillbilly rich out here, right? Like, I don't know, I, I'd have a hard time ever selling my company. I'd have a hard, like, I'm just, I've got a good thing. And I'm, and like, if you gave me $10 million tomorrow in my bank account, my lifestyle changes, not at all, right? I drive my same car. I've got a great car that I really like. I, I've got a beautiful house and plenty of land. And like, I travel wherever I want to go. Like, I've got everything that I need. And so, yeah, it's put me in this very spoiled spot where I'd have a hard time justifying a lot of the things that would feed my ego, right? Sell your company for a big number. Move to some city where now you're a big investor or whatever. Like, actually, I, I, I'm curious, Nev, if, like, is there a number that you would sell your company or, or would, will you just kind of ride this thing to the grave? And I would, I would sell it if the number came across, but I just don't see that actually happening. Yeah. Kind of like it's like it's such a niche business that I'm just kind of like I don't really see who would want to buy it. If someone gave me ten million bucks, I would sell it. But I mean, I'm I'm also happy running it. I'm happy. So this is how I look at it: is I've built it in a way that it's a cash flow positive business. It makes money every year, and I generally am involved in the aspects of it that I like. I get involved in the coaching. I'm in front of a lot of the videos. I teach people in front of the internet, so people think I'm running everything, but I'm really not. Most of my most my employees are doing a great job behind the scenes running most of the company, and I'm kind of the face of the company, and I'm okay with that. It, it, it's in my lifestyle. I still love snowboarding. Most people who snowboard love snowboarding, so it's kind of like, I don't know, people like me because of the business, I, and I'm not, I'm not out there doing it because I want people to like me, but man, okay, this is kind of funny. I have this this outerwear setup that I've been filming in the last few years, and it's a you'd know it, Jess. It's the blue jacket and the tan pants. And the outerwear, I just I only use it on the days I'm filming. But when I go up on the mountain on that outerwear, everybody knows who I am. It's crazy. You're a celebrity. People are cheering off the cheerlist. They're like, "Oh my god, snowboard addiction!" It's crazy. Like on my days that I'm not filming, I'm not wearing that outerwear because it's a little bit intense at times. But but it's fun. It's cool. It's like. People are coming up to you in the lift line and they're like thanking you and they're like telling you how much they watch their videos. And it's, there is, man, there's like a lot of snowboarders who know what snowboard addiction is. It is awesome. Like, like Jess, you know, I've never met you before today. And you told me that you and your, and your kids have watched the videos all the time and love the videos. Oh, constantly. I, I earned so many dad points in the eyes of my 16 year old daughter yesterday. When I said you were coming on the show, she like let her, she's like, really? Like, I'm like, <laughs> the billionaire founder of zoom i have you know navy seals all these all these like you know movie stars on the shows you have you know and, and yeah. like and like i even have quilters sometimes now and no she doesn't care but i said you were coming on she like she's like really well God, you know it's, it's just like you were the celebrity to her okay. so yeah it, so was that, was that oh, weird for you dude sort of getting like you because you, you've built a persona around what you do and so like the challenge with that, I feel like, is it is it's very it's draining. Like, I mean, you get you get a small glimpse of like what it's like to be famous, where it's not exhausting, but like you can't just you can't just go do your thing because people know you, right? There's a little bit of of sort of awareness that you have to have. Is that is that been? I don't know. I, I mean, you dig it though, right? Like it's it's sort of fits your personality. 
It's a little bit weird, but but it's not bad because people are usually a lot of people are just thanking me, which is awesome. I mean, I, I really don't feel like I'm just a lot of hope. I, was, I mean, I was doing it mainly so I could snowboard, right? Let's be honest. I was building this business so I could keep snowboarding, but in that process, I've helped a lot of people become better at snowboarding, and that's awesome. I, like, I enjoy doing that. Plus, he gets to live out by my hero, Devin Walsh. Like, I just want to be in the same city, you know? Who's Devin I'm Walsh, bu- Jess? I'm actually a business partner of Devin Walsh. No. Yeah. What are you guys doing? Well, kind of, a little bit. So there's a restaurant in Whistler. It's called Al Furniture Warehouse. Have you been there, Al? Did I take you? Uh-uh. Okay, so it's a, a restaurant in town, and Devin Walsh and I are both one of the investors in the, in the company. So we're very, very small business partners together, but I guess you can say we are. <laughs> okay, now I'm geeking out. So Al, he, like... So many of the best snowboarders that got in the magazines and the videos, so many of them were Americans or there's, you know, some of the Europeans, but there weren't necessarily, there weren't always as many Canadians at the top. I mean, it's just a smaller population to choose from, even though we have so much snow. But there was this guy from Whistler that would just do like the most enormous jumps of all time. And he wouldn't flap his arms around like every one of the rest of us. And like 30 years later, he's still a pro that like wins wins like snowboard of the year awards and stuff like this snowboarder hall of fame and uh he's just like in all these like stupid videos that we all watched since we were little kids he was just like one of those cool nice guys that you like you would like you wish you were friends with that guy. wait nev is he really a nice guy come on give us the he's, every time i've talked to him he's actually quite quiet so i've never been able to strike up like an, a big long winded conversation with him he seems like a nice guy but i mean yeah, I'll be honest, from where I'm sitting, he seems like a coward. I've never met him, but I don't like him. I don't like him just from what I know about him. He's definitely one of the most respected snowboarders in the world. He's definitely... He's Say what you nice will, guy. my mind is made up. <laughs> hey, so Al, I want, to tell, I want to talk a little bit about something you were talking about before. And you were saying like, oh, you don't need to have this big billion dollar business and be respected by all these people or something. And I was like, yeah, even though my business is still pretty small, it's it's huge in snowboarding. I think everyone in, like, I feel like a, most people in snowboarding have come across it at some point. So it's kind of like a little big business for me well, inside I, this little industry. I hope that didn't come off as diminutive at all because, like, because I have I have just absolute respect for it. I wonder, I wonder if you, like, sort of lean back in your chair, is there, does your ego pull you in any direction? Like, is there... Is there anybody's approval that like somewhere deep down is like, well, once I get to here, then I'll have really made it or, or have you beat the game already? I think I feel like maybe I've beat the game because I don't feel like I'm looking for anyone's approval. But I want to tell you a little bit about my outside of snowboard addiction is that I always built snowboard addiction like in this kind of slow, steady, cash flow positive way. But I always filtered my money into alternative ways of making money. So like on the side of snowboard addiction, I bought a bunch of rental properties so I bought like six rental properties in the Whistler area and did really, really well out of out of other things that make money as well. And then I've taken a bunch of that money and learned how to invest in the stock market. And and so now I have three different income sources. I have real estate income, I have investing stock market options type income, and I have snowboard addiction income. So even though snowboard addiction is still like a small, medium business that does well, I'm doing really well personally from areas totally not related to snowboard addiction. And as a result, man, I feel like, I mean, like in 10 years from now, I mean, I'm already doing, I'm pretty wealthy, but I mean, in 10 years from now, I'm probably going to be doing really, really well because I'm super savvy with where I'm putting that money and how I run things in that way. That's actually, that's actually an incredible skill because I feel like growing up, we spent a lot of time talking about how to get money and very, very little time talking about what to do with it once you've got it. Right. And so like the fact, the fact that you've bridged that, I feel like. 
I feel like it's fairly rare because because a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, like because we we well, I say we, but like yeah, I can say I I don't know necessarily what to do with it when I when I get it. My focus continues to remain on just getting more, right? Instead of like, oh cool, I, now I can do these other things with this money. I continue to just dive in on this one thing and and keep going on it. And so I actually think that's a that's a fairly unique skill that you've you've opened up and and being confident in that man what like i feel like that'd be really liberating or or what i mean what, what is the advantage to it really for you is it just like not having to like if snowboard addiction went away tomorrow you're not you don't die and so does that change how you make decisions and stuff that point that you just said is something that i always thought about is like what if snowboard addiction just stopped making money and i always kind of thought about that and i never have to go get a job ever again in my life even if snowboard addiction totally closed i'm fine I got, I know how to make money through other means. And, and, uh, and that's a lot through studying. It's through studying books and courses, you know, like reading things like Robert Kiyosaki. He's like the, you guys might've read his book. He's got the rich dad, poor dad book. And then, you know, I started studying real estate up in Canada, joined an organization of real estate investors up here. And then I started studying a stock course and I followed a guy in America who who's done that his whole life. And I just like, it's just not an issue for me now. Like I still love snowboard addiction. I'm still going to keep growing that company, but it doesn't matter if it folds and it's not going to fold, but now it doesn't matter. And that's liberating for sure. Can I, can I ask about your choice for real estate? Because I always felt like real estate was super boring. And I was like, everybody always talked about how much money you can make in real estate. And I was like, oh, that's boring. And now I've like completely turned my life that way. And I've actually shut down a business and, and put a couple of my other businesses under this real estate fund we're building right now. And like, the only thing I'm doing is that now. And for me, like boring, reliable got really sexy <laughs> for me later on. What was it about real estate that, that became attractive for you? Well, the initial thing that got me into real estate was probably the first Robert Kiyosaki book that I read, because you just don't get taught that, right? Like, you know, my parents just had their one house that they lived in. And and like nobody in school taught us about buying rental houses and making money. And you read that book and you're kind of like, oh, this sounds pretty cool. So my first ever profits from snowboard addiction that I saved up enough to get a down payment, I bought a house in Whistler. And that house at the time was, I bought it for $560,000 and I, I sold it 10 years later for 1.5 million. So I made a million bucks on that first house I bought over a 10 year period. And it's just like, and that now I benefited from some really good appreciation in the market. So, <laughs> so, but I have his advice and just go buy a house and wait 10 years, you'll make a million bucks. And there's more to it than that is what I did, right? Is I'm, um, the Robert Kiyosaki was quite American and the fact that it was it was written by an American. So I, I was like, okay, how do I find someone who knows this stuff in Canada? So I, I searched, you know, real estate investing in Canada and there's a straight away this book comes up with this guy. His name is Don Campbell and he's kind of the guru of real estate investing in Canada. And so I start reading his information. I end up reading his course. He has some formulas that um, I use to find my first properties based on how much cash flow would be a good place to buy. And I, I used his formula and I bought in his formula. So it wasn't as much as just being lucky. It was like, okay, there's a formula. Let's see if I can get that to work. And it just so happened to work in my town at the time. And and then I kept, you know, I kept doing the stuff that they recommended to do. And it worked out really awesome. And one of the things he says, you'll appreciate this, Jess, is Don Campbell. He says that your real estate investing should be boring. <laughs> he says, if your real estate investing is exciting, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> that feels appropriate. So I got to uh, get this book. Well, I mean, it's just the same. It's it's the same stuff as what you'd find in in America, but it's specific to Canada, and that's good. I mean, his his most famous book is called 
real estate investing in Canada. That's the name of the book. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I've, I've done, I've done well out of real estate and I still have lots of properties and, and uh, you know what? I don't like it as much anymore because I don't particularly like property management. And I did do some of the property management myself, especially because some of the properties I were buying was in the town that I lived in. And um, I don't enjoy that anymore because it's not the same as teaching people to snowboard. How, dealing with properties is like, whatever. It's like, yeah, it's mostly dealing with problems. So um, now I'm, I'm learning more about the stock stuff and the stock stuff's interesting because you don't have to deal with any tenants or anything. And it, it works well when you have a bit of money to play with. Actually, we, me and my sister bought some Airbnbs in our town and she, she sent me a text a couple of days ago. She's like, I'm cleaning boogers off the bathroom. I'm too rich to be cleaning boogers off the bathroom. Like what, what have we done? How are we back? Here? I was like, yeah, we made some bad choices that put us in a really, that is not our dream. What do we do? Yeah. Yeah. Dude. So, so I'm curious, like, like, you know, can you can spend, spend a minute or two where like, where like you, you had the, the big moments of self doubt come in. Cause I mean, I think it'd be easy to listen to your story and be like, man, dude just had the charmed life. Like it, it all just came together so easy. What, what a dream it snowboards all day and then real estate, then stocks and everything just knocks it out of the park. Like, like was, ha, have you had the moments where you just put your head in your hands and said, man, I give this all away right now. If somebody would take it, this is a terrible life. I never got to that point that you're saying, but I did get to the point several times where I'm like, am I doing the right thing? Is this even worth it? Like, why am I doing this? Like, it was kind of like every year I would get to summer and I would be like, and sales would go way down. And I'm like, oh, is this even worth it? Like, what? I, I would totally question myself. But the thing that you don't see, Al, that most people don't see is that I've actually chose to study money my whole life. I, I, from like, I was running businesses when I was 10 years old and making money as a 10 year old because my parents never gave me money. They basically just kind of told me I had to make my own. And as a result, I was doing that and I was reading like, you guys obviously know Tony Robbins. I did Tony Robbins course when I was 13 years old. <laughs> That's a and lot of effort for a 13 year old. I know. And like, honestly, I bought it online. Like, oh, not online. It was, it was, it was a, what do you call those infomercials? LimeWire. So it was like yeah. the, the half hour infomercials. And I, and it was like 300 bucks or something to buy his like set of, I don't know, like 20 DVDs. And, and I had people being like, oh, that's a waste of money. That's stupid. That's like people were totally doubting me. And I was like, I don't care. It's my money. I'm buying it. And I went in and I did it. And I was like super like a kid, right? 13 years old. And um, and like I got a lot out of that kind of stuff. I got a ton out of that stuff. And then reading these personal development books and like all the stuff that a lot of really successful people do. If you study really successful people, they read these, these uh, personal finance books, motivation books, self-help books, business study books, all that kind of stuff. And I've done that my whole life. So from a young teenager, I've been studying money and it pays off. You know, you keep studying money and you, you dig in and you sacrifice some things and it usually tends to work out. Well, it has for me. Hey, good enough, man. You know, one question I have about that, I'd be interested in both of your thoughts on this is, some, like I'm a real book nerd. Al, Al knows this now, but like in the last dozen years, I've listened to like, if you count the Jason Bourne books in there, probably like 1100 books. Okay. Wow. If All you these, count the Jason, don't count the Jason Bourne. It's, it's 75. If you don't count the Jason Bourne books, it's like 800. Yeah. Okay. So I, I really love books and I'm always talking to all these guests on the show and friends and buddies. And there's like, there's like the set of books that it's cool that you said you read, like the Warren Buffett books or the, you know, like these, you know, like Al, you probably know the hard thing about hard things, the Ben Horowitz book. Sure. Anyways, I, that, I really like that one. It was great. 
but people don't want to admit that they read think and grow rich and how to win friends and influence people and stuff like that. And like, I read how to win friends and influence people at least once a year. I've done that since I was 19, you know, love that book. I and, love that. Book. And uh, I talked to like these really, really financially successful people. And like on the side, they tell me that they read self-help books and they love them. But it seems like, like in the sophisticated business world, so many of us don't like want to say that on our outside voice. Al, do you see that at all? Or either of you? Yeah, no, no. When, when Nev said rich dad, poor dad, I was like, oh boy, oh boy. Every one of our, and every one of our entrepreneur friends has read that. Don't you yeah. think Al? And like, yeah. I'm not saying it's the end all be all, but like we all read it and it helped all of us, even though it wasn't right there. I remember when I used to read this book and you kind of like try to cover the, the, the contents because it seems so weird. You don't want people to read that cover because it's like such yeah. a, <laughs> it's such an embarrassing title, How to Win Friends and Influence win. People. It's, yeah. it's like a horrible title, but it's a great book. It's a great book. Same with the um, Think and Grow Rich. Like, I don't know how many times I read that. I must have read it at least four or five times. And yeah, but like, sounds horrible, I have like, but it's awesome. I have like FBI hostage negotiators on this who like, deployed with to Iraq with Delta Force, right? And they're like, yeah, well, what we really found is like, if we took the lessons from how to win friends and influence people, we could help self, save lives in our FBI hostage negotiate, you know, like, right? Anyway. Well, I, feel, I feel like, yeah, the other ones are like the four hour work week and stuff where it, it gets, people look down on it a lot, but like, if you get to the core principles that are, well, here's what, here's what I found. And I don't know if this is all you guys have found the same thing, but I, I feel like, once you've read seven or eight self-help books, you realize they're all the exact same and just telling it in a different parable. And, and so like, like some people, some people, the stories of rich dad, poor dad are going to speak to them or four hour work week are going to speak to them. But like the principles are all the exact same of like pretty much just how to, how to have a, a good life. And so whatever parables speak to you, I feel like you should be unabashed in, in loving them, but also understand that, that, you know, what works for me, like the ones that speak to me are not going to speak to my buddy over here. And, and that's all right. But, but yeah, dude, it's, it's a little disappointing once you get through a few of them, you're like, oh, there's nothing new. All this has been said before. For sure. I mean, I think a big thing is, is if you're going to read the books, you got to act on them, you know, like do read what it says and then take the advice and, and run with it. And I think a lot of people forget to do that. Yeah. I just read them. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, so, Nev, Nev, do you actually do that? Like, are you are you a note taker while you're reading stuff, man? Like, after sometimes. after ten books, do you still take a thing and you're like, I'm gonna go and change this now? Sometimes I'll read and I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna apply that in my life, and I'll consciously do it. I remember last time I re I listened to the audio book of this when I was driving last year, and I was like, Oh, that's a great idea. I'm gonna start doing that more. I just it's just like you just pick up one more thing each time. It's impossible to read a book like this and go and take everything it says and apply it. This was too much. You can only pick it apart a little bit at a time. You know, that's that's my way too is I hated reading as a little kid. And then, you know, in eighth grade, I found some novels that were great, started liking reading. But like in general, like with business, I was like too busy. I was always like, well, I could sit and read or I could get work done. So it was like too tempting to work all the time. Audiobooks just changed my life because then I could listen to books multiple times and try to like try to brainwash myself with with those methods. And I, you know. Like there's some books now that I, I've got a handful of books right now that I listen to a little bit of every week, like Ryan Holiday's book, uh, The Obstacle is the Way. Like every time I get overwhelmed, I just flip that book on and I start listening to it till I stop feeling overwhelmed. Or like uh, Richard Koch, this uh, British guy, he wrote a book called The 80-20 Principle, which is kind of about what you would think it would be about, right? But 
you know, he was a Bain consult BCG, then Bain Consulting, then started his own consulting firm, sold it, made like 15 million bucks, and then turned that 15 million into 300 million by investing with these principles. And so he just like speaks with an authenticity. And I'm the guy who's like constantly overworking instead of like getting really intentional about doing the right things. So I like, I know I need to indoctrinate myself with that. So I just, I just put the book on repeat and I'm just listening to a little bit, you know, a couple, three, four times a week. And I've just done that for like the last three years now. Let me tell you one of the things that I've done in my life more over the last few years is, you know how like there's a certain amount of books that are all around creating the life you want, kind of like the one that the most famous one is The Secret, the movie The Secret. It's about uh, attracting what you want in your life. But I really like that kind of stuff. Not not so much like in terms of The Secret, but just deciding what you want in your life and, and going after it and having that intention of like, this is where I'm going. That's been super powerful for me for the last few years because um. I really think, and I'm getting stronger at this all the time, that if you decide what you want one way or another, you'll eventually find the way there if that's what you focus on. So I try to always focus on what I want and where I want to go. And um, I'm getting better at that. And I'm not perfect at it, but I mean, my life's definitely getting better every year. I mean, this is coronavirus year, the worst year for most people in the world. And that's one of my best years. I mean, like in terms of like everything coming together, it's doing, everything's doing great, which is weird to say. Now, I'm curious, like from a from a happiness standpoint, man, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs run into this thing where, where, you know, you spend your life sort of achieving the, the goals you set as a 15 year old, right? Where, where like, I could totally see you see you being like, all I want to do is snowboard. And like, this is this is the dream. And then now you've created a life where you've, you've 100% done that. Mine was I wanted to sit around all day and be able to play Xbox and only have to, you know, like, and then I did that for a year. And I was like, man, I this isn't, I'm not as happy as I thought I would be. I really thought it was going to be better than this. You know, like you, you, you reach your first million and you're like, I thought there were more Lamborghinis that were going to be around me. And where are the women? Not, nothing, nothing changed from, from like a happiness standpoint for you, man. Are, do you, I, I'm kind of curious. Like, do you, what do you feel? I, I just have to interrupt. I have to interrupt here, Al. Yeah, I got to tell you, you are famous amongst my business partners because they they proof after our editors go through it, our part my my partners in my investment fund proof proof these episodes and go out. They think that you are so funny. Oh, well, uh, you're like famous in our company amongst because really you're investors. like the guy who I'm has huge. you because you're the guy who has such a good time. And so I I like the oh well, the, you know we need more Ferraris around here. We need more Lamborghinis and ladies. Go on. So my 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 question for you, Nev, is like is like, did you have? I mean, so you, you sort of achieved all your goals. I mean, one like like how have you how have you sort of had the conversation around happiness and and like, are you happy now? Are you still reaching? Is there you know is there anything that you could think of that would make you more happy if you if you got it? And then like the other one that I've kind of struggled with is goals, right? Like I don't think I've set a goal in five years because it's for me for me it's just kind of hard to like at this point I'm reaching for the sake of reaching and I'm, and I'm, I'm starting to figure some stuff out around that, like some fight, some fitness goals and stuff that I'm starting on where I'm just like trying to build some things up, but like, it's still something that I kind of battle with. And I, I'm just curious, do you have thoughts on either of those? Yeah, thoughts on all of that stuff. So I'll, I'll start <laughs> with one area and we'll see where it takes us. But uh, yeah, so in terms of goals and achieving all your goals, I'm big on the fact that you have to keep putting more goals out there. It doesn't have to be financial. It could be health. It could be family. It could be friends. It could be anything. Like you've, like, got, you've got you've got the, a beautiful family. You've got a great business. You've got your finances covered. You, like, like what goals are left for you to set? I have so many goals and I can share them. I have 
Okay, so let me share some of the goals. I, I, I am still trying to expand my financial means. Every year, I'm trying to build my wealth. That's one. <clears throat> I'm also trying to work less. It's one of my goals to work less and take on less projects. So I actively am trying, like things come into my inbox and if it's like a real estate deal, I'll just delete it. I won't even look at it because I know that if I look at it, I'll start going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> so I've got a goal to work less and just spend more free time. Now, another another thing that you talked about is um, fitness and stuff. I, um, I've actually, like all my life, I've kind of been a skinny guy and I just always thought, hey, I'm a skinny guy. And so I've recently started going to the gym to try to get muscle. And I've been going to the gym four or five times a week recently because I want to prove to myself, I'm like, can I actually build muscle? Can If I think I can do anything that I, I'm, and I'm, I'm of that mindset that like, I believe I can do anything. And I'm like, well, prove it. Like, go to the gym and put some muscle on. So I'm actually going to the gym like four or five times a week right now for nothing other than to just get a bit bigger and feel like, yeah, I can put some muscle on. It's not like I don't want to be this jacked, ripped guy, but I want to like, I would kind of like to just be a little bit bigger than what I picture myself as, which is a skinny guy. Totally weird, but it's, it's in my goals. You know, I'm actually trying to put weight on and, and, and build muscle, sidetrack. Um, but on every the, every think, 40 year old out there is, is just cursing your name, but yeah, go on. And like you say, you don't have any goals. You haven't written any goals down for five years. Like, man, I mean, like not everyone's into goals, but I seriously think you should probably take some time and write down. What do you want? What do you want to achieve? What will make you happy? I'm pretty happy, but I'm always, I'm happy. And I've got lots of stuff I want to do in my life. I want to travel the world. I want to continue building snowboard addiction. I want to um, raise my kids and have them have an awesome life. I want all the guys working for me to expand their means and have a good time working at snowboard addiction. I mean, I've got lots of stuff that I want to do that's continuing to make me happy. And, and I definitely believe in goals. I, I try to write them down. It's hard. It's hard to write goals down because if you write all your goals down, most likely you're going to achieve them. Then you have to write more. And that's where everyone forgets. It's like, oh, because you, you probably achieved a lot of the financial goals that you set out to achieve. And now you need to write more. They don't have to be financial. It can be anywhere. Well, like the, the big milestone events of my life of like buy a house, get married, you know, build a, build a company. Like all those things were the big goals that were sort of overarching. And every little goal was to get me there, right? Like I only ever did push-ups to get a woman. Now I have a loving wife. <laughs> and I'm like, she doesn't care if I do 20 push-ups or 50 push-ups. What do I care? I like... How am I going to set a goal around this? And I really, I actually really struggled with it. I feel like I, I, I feel like goals and happiness are very directly connected. And like to feel happy, you need goals. I don't know. I don't know if that checks out. Like I need to chew on that a little bit. But like, but like, I've, because I, I kind of struggled with happiness for a little bit after I, after I crossed all these milestones. And I'm just. I mean, I, I know I don't mean to project like my own experience on everybody else, but I'm just curious if if you run if if you ran into any of that as you were like, well, this was I'm I'm in a better spot than I ever thought I would be, uh, and still I'll, like, do I just keep reaching for more or or what do you do? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think one of the differences maybe between me and you, Al, is I might spend more time on leisure than you do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. True. And so, like, I like. I like surfing. I like snowboarding. I like snowmobiling. I like mountain biking. And I do all of this stuff. And I try to make time to do all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I like sports. Plus, I like my family. I'm hanging out with my family. But sports for me has always been a thing. I like doing extreme sports. 
I also think, Al, you might be better at putting goals down unconsciously than a lot of other people. Like you've kind of like had this direction in your life and you've achieved these goals and it might have been more of a natural thing for you. I don't know why. Maybe it was part of your upbringing. Maybe you just had a good supportive family that encouraged you in that way. And that's the same as me is that I, I've brought up with a good, good family, just a good run of the mill, normal type family and I had good values and had good positive experiences and so it's easy for me to kind of set where I want to be and it sounds like it's like that for you too is that it's easy for you to in your head see what you want and then it happens and then you're like well where do I go from here I'm always surprised by my own success where I'm like oh I really didn't think that would work now I guess we'll find something else so you, and just keep keep doing it you just decide what makes you happy and what goals do you want and what do you want to achieve in your life and you know what if you focus on it it'll probably happen more than likely it'll probably happen yeah Nev, Nev, how much time, how much time a day do you spend working on the, on like money things versus playing or, or with the family and stuff like that? I would say I probably work a full-time week. Like when I say like, let's just say a full-time week's like 40 hours, but that would be involved in maybe a third snowboard addiction, a little bit of real estate stuff, a little bit of stock stuff. So it all just adds up together to be kind of like a full-time work week. Probably. Okay. Right. You just kind of fit it in wherever because because you'll you'll go like snowboarding on a Wednesday and you have no like I admire so much the fact that you don't have that that entrepreneur guilt in you where you're like, no, I'm doing this so I can go snowboarding on a Wednesday and, and I'll just sit in my server closet with no windows typing on my computer, like feeling jaded or whatever. I, I, I'm just so envious of like of like your your mental physique that you're able to just you're able to balance a lot of this stuff into your world i'm very jealous yeah it's funny in winter i will snowboard every single good day of the season so every powder day which is when there's a bunch of fresh snow i will snowboard every powder day without fail so like most people might get a couple of powder days a year i might get like 50 powder days a year (laughs) (laughs) jess do you get 50 powder days a year so i i didn't and then we moved up on this mountain and I stopped going to like every business networking thing because it takes me like an hour to drive to Salt Lake, you know? Yeah. And so my my other buddies who are like, you know, live out on the side of the mountain with their families, they will text me and be like, it'll be like dumping here and they'll text me. It'll be like two o'clock on a Tuesday and they'll be like, hey, you want to go snowmobiling? I'm like, when? they would be like, now. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> so it, it this this move has really changed things and like... My my assistants don't book any meetings for me on Fridays so that by the time the snowboard season comes, it's not weird that I'm not going to any meetings because I went snowmobile snowboarding Friday morning. But but I don't know if I get as many days as Nev, but, you know, it took me like making it inconvenient for myself mm. to overwork and go to every possible meeting in order to like choose more family time and choose to like, well, I'll just tell you guys this three years ago, my dad uh, was killed in a car accident and uh, we almost lost my mom as well. And like, it was this big wake up call for me and my brother of like, Ooh, we aren't actually going to live forever. And like both of us started thinking like, I better, I better get busy living. Like I, I'm a little bit more as you've described now, like, Oh, once I achieve this, then I'll, then I'll live my life or something, you know, like I'll work a hundred hours for nine years and then I'll take my first vacation. And like, you know, I thought my dad had another 25, 30 years in him and, and like, it's, it's gone, you know? And, and I just thought like, I just started evaluating my life. Like I, like, will I have been happy with my life if all I do is work this much? And it, it's hard. My wife jokes about like how hard it is for my like 
uh my like work obsession to 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 like be honest like oh i don't really need to do this i can go dirt biking with the guys right now yeah and and like partially moving out here has helped with it and partially just going like you know what like i actually didn't plan a life of just work all the time because i'm supposed to or because of some stories i've told myself and and i had to decide also like you know i got a 16 year old like i don't feel old enough to have a 16 year old i feel like i'm i'm not mature enough to be a 16 year old let alone have one right so going like man she's gonna move out in like three years did i do the dad things that i'd always told myself and like I'm going to have to make potentially make less money and do less work to be the dad that I said I was going to be, you know? So that's been a one for me. Jess, you say that you say that you, you're going to have to make less money. You can intend to make more money and work less. Hence the reason I'm reading that 80-20 book like every week of my life. And uh, I'm doing much more in like hunting, hunting, like recruiting this, people. Tell me the Nev book that he writes is like, like, cause, cause this is, this is the, the, uh, the make more work less sort of philosophy, I feel like needs to be rebranded and reborn because it's, it's, it's got that four hour work week brand and Tim Ferriss around it that, that like, I, I, another one where it's like, it's taboo to like it, but there's actually some very positive things in there. And, uh, and Nev, when you write your book, when you write your book, I feel like it'll open the door for a lot of people that can just have that be the intent, right? Like it's, it's a worthwhile pursuit. But wait, in that vein, in that vein, do you worry about a life where you worked not at all? Like, is there is there any downside to a life of just leisure? You guys get me wrong. You think all I do is leisure. I actually work really hard as well. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. But like, <laughs> like if you optimize to the full extent, do you do you miss the, would would you miss the work if you didn't have to work at all? I think you probably need the balance because if all you did was play, there might be something missing. The play might get boring. You know, Al, you talked about playing video games and being disappointed in it. You know, like yeah. I made a I made a ton of money when I was 24. We lived in San Clemente and I I I had just turned 25 and so and I retired. And I just served for days, yeah. I just surfed all day, every day. And like, it was not very many weeks. And my wife is like, you are unhappy. You know, you made this much money this fast. Why don't you, you know, why don't you just go back and see if you can make 10 times that or something? Cause you are not happy. And I'd like told myself this story, like, I'm going to get so good at surfing. Maybe I'll try and compete and we'll, we'll do all this stuff. And it was funny that way, you know, like. And so yeah. you made all that money when you were 24. Why didn't, did you not know how to invest it wisely to keep that money? Oh growing? yeah. I, Nev, I made enough money to retire two different times in my 20s and lost it all both times. Why do you think I'm doing commercial real estate now? <laughs> right? Did you really? <laughs> yeah, like I'm slower than the rest of the children. Okay. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> it, it definitely is unusual to be interested in the stuff that I was interested in, in the fact of like making money and being able to put money to work. But the other thing that I had was I had this lifestyle where I could live on not much money. And, and that lifestyle has continued through my house. Oh, th through my life to today. Like, for example, even today, my family and I, we live in a house that's really nice. Al's been to our house. Our house is worth- It's a beautiful you know, house. There's a hot tub on the balcony, all right? It's a nice yeah. house. So our house is worth two and a half million dollars. But even that, we have a suite underneath it. And that suite still pays a big chunk of our mortgage. And I still rent that suite out because I'm like, it still pays a big chunk of the mortgage. And I'm like, wow, why not? Might as well keep renting it. We don't need to rent it, but we do. And same thing today. Like, you know, when you go on a holiday and like, it's pretty expensive to go on some holidays for like accommodation and stuff. 
I joined this platform called Home Exchange where you can swap your home with other people. And like last year, we went to Hawaii for three weeks and we swapped with a family from Hawaii and we swapped cars and I used their surfboards. And so, and we got our flights on points. So even though I can afford this stuff, we flew there for free, stayed in someone's house for free, used their cars and used their surfboards and spent three weeks in Hawaii, you know? And it costs like almost nothing. It's just like, I don't know why, but I'm used to this frugal lifestyle and all the money that I make, I just keep reinvesting it until one, one day I won't, I'll probably start spending it. But right now I'm still, I'm still accumulating and building wealth. Yeah. You know, Nev, this is kind of a right turn, but, but since I have you on the show, I really want to ask your opinion on this. I just had Sal Masakella, you know, the guy who hosted the X Games for all those years. I had him on and I asked him the same question. It seems like snowboarding as an industry has had this big change where, you know, in the 90s, early 2000s, it was such a big deal, right? And now I can't believe how many kids want to ski. I'm like, really? You want to be a skier, right? And the guy who owns all of the Woodwards, I was at the Woodward opening with all these, you know, Tony Hawk and all these people here. And I got I got the guy alone, the billionaire guy that owns it all. And it's like this common theme I hear from people is like, snowboarding didn't make the leap to become a family sport. And that's why they think it it's gone down. Like, in Utah, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 40% of, of lift ticket sales were snowboarders. And today it's 20% of lift ticket sales are snowboarders. Do you have any thoughts about the future of snowboarding or what could be done about it or anything like that? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I still see lots of snowboarding, but it's probably because I'm in the snowboarding area. We still have lots of snowboarding up here. I do think skiing is potentially a little bit easier to learn than snowboarding. Maybe that's got something to do with it, especially for the young kids. Like, like I, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old and the four-year-old is a much better skier than he has a snowboard because it's just, they've got the two feet, they're independent, they can control. So maybe it's got that thing, like in ski schools, they will allow skiers to start younger than snowboarders. So maybe people just start skiing and that trickles through. That's maybe got something to do with it. I don't know the answer to that. I do think snowboarding is alive and well. You know, it's got a core following. There seems to be plenty of people doing it. And I don't think it's going anywhere, but time will tell. Al, any any third-party observer of the ups and downs of the action sports world? No, I've enjoyed snowboarding. There's there's a few things in life that like you have to suck at for a year before you get good enough that then you enjoy. And snowboarding is one of those where I really like it now. I remember in the middle of it, I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. And and then you get to the other side where you're good enough at it that it, you can actually enjoy it. It was very novel to me. And I feel like that's actually true in a lot of spaces. There's a lot of things that people just never get to enjoy because they don't put the time in to actually know how to do it. And I'm curious, like, how much more I'd enjoy it if if I could roll with, like, Nev. I've, I've watched some of his videos on Facebook and stuff. This dude will just be you know, just trucking down a hill and take some huge old jump. And I'm like, I am so curious what that feels like, but am I willing to put in the work to get to where I could do it? Or do I just sit here in my little, little bunny slopes and enjoy myself? I don't, uh, but like snowboarding, snowboarding, I don't know, man, if kids will still, you can get them in there and let them, let them be okay falling down for a while and, and they get good enough to enjoy it. I feel like it's something you just love your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see snowboarding disappearing. But I have seen that skiing is, is doing well, and um, I don't think it's anything to worry about. But. No skiers ruining all our slopes, clogging it up with their crappy pizza, french fry, gibberish. Well, Snowboard Addiction is trying to get into that ski market, right? We're selling <laughs> it's anything bad about <laughs> We've got a brand, skiaddiction.com, and honestly, it's still really small compared to snowboarding. So we haven't figured out how to tap that ski market. It's, it's okay. 
Let me tell you one of the reasons why Snowboard Addiction has been successful. It's because we always focused around teaching people and helping people. And um, with skiing, it's not quite the same because I'm not a skier. And I've never been able to find that perfect skier who can do it and help people and be, be involved in it as much as I was. I mean, maybe that's what we got to do for ski addiction, but we're now going to try it in the wake product, like wakeboard product market and see if that works. And we'll see. Now, dude, I cannot, I cannot say enough, like how just enamored I am with you and your business and your beautiful family and like the life that you've built. I, I think that you have, you just have such a great sort of, sort of you're, you're prone to a, to a great balance that I, I just admire a ton. And so just, just. I, I met you like that one time on that on that bike trail, man, and haven't haven't ever gotten over the story and like the the warmth that you have and the kindness that you've shown. And so I I just think you're a great person, man. Thanks for thanks for chatting with us. It's it's been really cool to kind of hear the story and, and get into all that. Right on. Awesome. I appreciate it. It's always fun to to have a chat like this because you know, you don't have these chats very often and new stuff comes out, right? So Well, I, I appreciate it as well. It makes me think because with this new fund we're doing, it's taking a lot of time and stuff. And, and it's making me think like, am I embracing this, the mountains as much? Am I, am I on the slippery slope back to how I used to be? Am I, you know, and it makes me want to like be more intentional. So this has been great for me. Appreciate you making the time for us. Yeah. And that's the big thing. Al's always wondering, he's always like, oh, why can't he just do that with snowboard action to make it better? And we could, but I don't want to work more. I'm already working enough that I just want to, I want to like, I want it to grow, but I want to tie in my employees to, to, to grow in it. And, um, you know, I can go out and do another 10 things, but then it's another 10 things you got to work on because every, every next thing you do, that's another bunch of time you got to put into it. And I'm, I'm pretty happy sitting at home reading a book and doing some stretching and stuff at times. <laughs> I, I think that's brilliant, man. Is like constrain the time that you'll put in. Cause you'll put in a full 40, right? Like you'll put in a full effort. You're not you're not halving your your effort into your business, but like you let your you let your growth be constrained by what you're willing to put into those work hours, and you're not willing to sacrifice your family or your happiness in order to get one little level more in in revenue. Right? It's you got the balance all the way across, and you've got like you you're robbing from somewhere if you're going to put more in. And so I I think that's probably at the end of this conversation, I think that's probably the my takeaway is that like. You're not robbing anywhere. You're giving everything its fair due and just being being consistent and holding yourself accountable to that is maybe your superpower. For sure. I would agree with that. Feel, I feel fairly well balanced and uh, lots of stuff I want to do in life still, but it's going well. Nev, you're the best, man. Thanks, everybody, for listening.